Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. I am so glad that you are here, and man, what a great place to be on a Sunday morning. Last year at this time, we launched our Give Hope campaign, our initiative to raise $11.1 million to bring hope to a hopeless world. Because without Jesus, we believe that the world will live in despair. And so we launched this campaign with an effort to raise 11.1. And guess what was pledged last year at this time? $8.1 million. A year ago today. Yeah. And over the past three weeks, you, I'm sorry, I'm talking while you're clapping. You can clap. That's really fine. I'm just like, I know that I got a lot of notes and I'm like, I need to talk over your clapping. So I feel like we can get, but the things that we've been able to celebrate that God has done through the Hope Center and through M68, the international piece that's happening and just in the hearts of people who call this church home, God is transforming hearts. Aren't you sick of behavior modification where you have to, through willpower and emotion, try to change the inside and you can't. And it's a frustrating journey, but Jesus will come and change you from the inside out. And that's transformative, right? And so we started um, last year, we launched our Give Hope initiative with a message series around building bigger tables. That's why you heard the kids talking about building bigger tables. And here's why. We believe that when hope is brought to a community through Jesus, that the tables have to get bigger. Why? Because Jesus is growing the tables. We're not growing the tables. It's not in our effort, it's in God's. And when Jesus sat at a table, that became a kingdom table. And he invited people to that table. And what did that look like? And so we launched that series. We're halfway at the halfway point and... Um, Here's what I'd say. So much has happened this past year, but we aren't done. And when I say we aren't done, what I mean is God's not done. Because we don't take any of the credit for the good things that God does. If we get it wrong, we like, that was us. We got that wrong. If we get it right, that was God. Can we say that? And actually believe it and mean it. I think it's one thing to have a vision for making room in our lives to love others well. Um like Jesus loved others. I think it's one thing to create the margin and the space and our time and our talent and our treasure. It's another thing to actually do it, to fill that space with the kingdom things instead of the self things. Amen. Thank you. There you are. I wonder where you've been. <laughs> Good to see you, John. And so as we, as we kind of sit back and say, what does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves? And what, what keeps us from doing the things that Jesus has asked us to do? And, and I started t- processing, have we invited Jesus to our table instead of accepting the invitation to sit at his? Have we made a bigger deal about our table when in all actuality, what you ought to do is throw your table in the junk and join his because you can actually invite more people to that table. There's actually more room at that table. It's actually a better table. See, this series is built around Jesus and his interactions with four individuals or groups of people who were present at Matthew's table in Matthew chapter 9. And so this series is to challenge us. How many of you love when something challenges you, right? How many of you love when a, when a church sermon challenges you? Raise your hand. You love that. Not all of you, right? This is kind of one of those where we just, we just need to be ready for what God may want to say and what he may want to do. 
But this is about challenge to become like Jesus. We've said often as a church, we have a strong agenda for your life. This isn't a place where you can come and experience Sunday and that's it. One day over every day. Sunday Christians don't change the world. It's people who live for Jesus 24-7. Those are the people. And that's our desire for you is to help you become like Jesus, knowing that it doesn't have to just be a Sunday thing. It can be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday's not the beginning of the week. It's the end of the week where we get to celebrate that God's done some really good things. Even in the midst of the heart, he's done good things. What would Jesus' invitation to the table, pull up a chair, if you will, have meant for each category of person? So we talked about his disciples uh, at the first week of the series. Then Alex came and talked about Matthew in the second week of the series. And then last week, Terrence broke some plates. (laughs) Right? We talked about what it means to to come to a table and, and... break the things that are keeping you from the table. What you don't know, what you don't know is he didn't break any in the first service, right? But he broke them in the second service, but he had to ask because they weren't his plates. They're actually Nat and April Bobmer's plates. And so he said, hey, can I break the plates? And Nat texts his wife, April, and says, hey, can he break the plates? To which she texts back, no, I would rather he not break the plates. And somewhere in translation, (laughs) Terrence didn't get the message until after he broke the plates. So if you weren't here last week, you need to go watch Terrence break plates that weren't his when he was told he shouldn't. (laughs) But we will never, ever forget that sermon. And neither will April and Nat. But being the giving church that we are, April, would you come up here for a second? (laughs) Terrence and I (laughs) thought it would be great. Thank you for offering your plates for a great sermon illustration. Lives were changed. Raise your hand if your lives were changed. There it is. You can take those. Can we get, thank you for, that's a sacrifice right there, right? (laughs) Oh gosh. I don't think those are the ones that he broke though, but you can take them back and get whichever ones match the other six at home that didn't get broke. (laughs) But this week uh, we are talking, thanks for letting us do that, Terrence. What am I breaking today? I don't know. Tis better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. You should tell my parents that all the time. Didn't go over well. The Pharisees, that's what we're talking about today. And they exist in every one of us sitting in this room. On some level, on some level, right? On some level. And to the degree that that is true will be the size of your table for good or for bad. So this has to be dealt with. Uh, The religious and specifically the religious and their response to themselves and others and how Jesus engages them and ultimately how he engages us. And so if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word as we go to Matthew chapter nine. And I would say this is the most important thing we do in a given day because what is read is more powerful than what's said. Though we pray that what is said penetrates hearts because it is the word of God. And that like a two-edged sword, it gets to the place where change can happen because we all need it. 
And so we come to this space and we read from the Word of God in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, and then I'm going to read a little bit extra than we have the last three weeks. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus decided to join the conversation. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom, that's us, will be taken, or that's Jesus, will be taken from them, and they, this is us, will fast. Here's what he says, verse 16. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the word of God. And so God, we pray that you would allow this word to settle into our hearts, to change us and transform us. Whether we have a relationship with you or not, may we be awake today to hear what it is that you want to say. And so we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Whew. Now let me just say this. I know that we come in today carrying a lot. How many of you feel like this was just a hard week? Would you just raise your hand? For whatever reason, it was a hard week. Yep, and so we see that. But not only do we see that, but God sees that. And so God, we just pray for every person who put their hand up. They said, this has been a hard week. That God, whatever that is, that we can lay that aside for this moment. And that maybe today something will be said that your Holy Spirit will take to the depths of each person that will bring peace and hope and healing and challenge. For those of us, God, who had a good week, we thank you for that. For those of us who had a mediocre week, we thank you for that. But may you teach us something today. Um, I have the, I have the, amen. <laughs> I'll give you the amen. There it is. You can give your heads up. Um, I think I, I, as a pastor of a church, I just hear a lot about what you're going through. And I just want you to know that every one of those moments, for good or for bad, God is going to use to make you into the image of his son. So don't rush your prison sentence. Don't rush it. But make sure you surround yourself with the Holy Spirit, God's word, and people who love Jesus more than you. And watch what he'll do with it. So this is a story, this, this story Matthew of Matthew coming to Jesus. And so let me start today by asking a basic question that I think needs to be corrected in some of us, if not all of us, that I think when we think about what it, what it means, that we'll think about it differently and maybe we'll look at our life and ask ourselves if it's true about us. And it's a good place to start. Here it is. What is a Christian? 
Now, when I say Christian, I think we live in a culture because of how we've often modeled Christianity to people, meaning what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've done that poorly. Can anybody say you've done it poorly? Raise your hand. And so if you ask 10 different people what a Christian is, you get 10 different answers. And so when I say Christian, can we just talk about what it means to follow Jesus, meaning giving my life and my heart to him in a way that he leads and he guides, and I don't. That's what we're talking about. So what is a follower of Jesus? And we can discover that by looking at how Jesus brought somebody to Christ, specifically Matthew. So based on that, here's what I believe we can see in the scripture. A Christian is someone who's called. They're called. Matthew, follow me. Matthew follows. Not someone who's decided to take Christianity up. Hey, I kind of like Christianity. I think that's a good religion. There's a bunch of religions out there. This one seems to have some really cool stuff. They take care of each other well. Their, their God says that you can't do anything. I did it for you. And he wants to give you forgiveness and a clean conscience. And there's a heaven at the end. And I kind of like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with Christianity. I want you to hear me. It's not someone who has decided to take up Christianity, but someone who senses that they are being taken up by someone else. The call of God comes to a person and you aren't a Christian unless you're called. Jesus comes to Matthew and says, follow me no matter who you are. If you have come to Jesus, you haven't subscribed to a religion where you say, I kind of like this thing called Christianity, but you sense that you were confronted with a person, not a religion. And some force outside of you is dealing with you and you respond to that. It's different. Maybe in the beginning you think that you're seeking. I've got these questions that are stirring in me about why I'm here and my purpose in life. And and so I'm a seeker and we build churches around seekers. Matter of fact, we stop sharing truth just so that you can be comfortable in your seeking. And listen, listen, it doesn't matter. It's a sense of I'm doing it. But you didn't get curious until something inside of you prompted you to be curious. That's God. If something woke up inside of you where you started thinking about those kinds of things and wanting to know the deeper answers, it's because God was at work in you. You didn't wake yourself up. He's waking you up. Something from outside of you is doing something. If you're sitting in this room and there's something going on in you right now, it could be God waking up your heart. But if you're sitting in here and you have a relationship with Jesus, is it because you chose him or was it because he chose you? And so it's different, right? I'm not doing it. If Jesus is calling you at some point, you'll become aware it's not your idea, but he called you. And there's an adventure to Christianity. And that adventure finds you and takes you on it. I don't go find it. It finds me. And sometimes the problem with our adventure is because you found it and it didn't find you. And you're trying to make it into an adventure when it's not the adventure that God has planned. So a Christian's been called. I think that's important. Now to be called is to be called away from something and to something. Called from something to something. And to be Christian is to be confronted. To be a follower of Jesus is to be confronted by a negative and a positive. And so many of us miss the negative. Meaning that God is calling us out of something that isn't healthy for us. That is about us. That is my plan. My way. My table. That I've set. And I invite Jesus to my table. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I've invited you to my table. Because I want to transform everything about your table. 
because it still has you engaged in it. It still has that flesh engaged in it. It still has your own wants and desires because they've been, they've been pushed to another side because the enemy of our soul is a liar. You're, we're still trying to find our value in what we do and what people say about us and, and what we do, what people say about us. I forgot the other one. Anyway, but that's your table. That's not God's table. Called from something to something. To be a Christian is to be confronted by a negative and a positive, and so many of us miss that. We're building our tables instead of joining him at his table. It's not, I've believed, but I think it's time to put it into practice. That's like stupid. That's silly to think. I've never understood this idea that I'm, I'm Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. Or I'm a practicing Catholic. Or I'm Jew, but I'm not a practicing Jew. Or I'm a Protestant, but I'm not a practicing. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm not a really practicing Christian. What is it then? <laughs> like, that's just weird, right? You don't just wake up and say, hey, I believed. I think I'm just going to try a little harder. A lot of people think that to be a Christian means you know what you should be doing, and now I'm just going to get serious about doing it. Guys, that's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. More prayer, more Bible study, come to church more often. I'm going to become more morally consistent. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, there has to be a breaking up of your old foundations. A revolution in the way you think about things. There has to be this smashing that happens of the table that we've sat at because we've been invited to a table that actually makes that pale in comparison to the one he's called us to. That now we get to invite others to. Now his table's our table. And they're represented in our homes and they're represented in our community. Why? Because if Jesus sat at it and invited us and now we sit at it, we represent him. Because Christianity is new wine, and when you put new wine into an old wineskin, it doesn't have the flexibility. The new wine begins to swell, meaning the fermentation process, and it needs more space, and it will smash the wineskin that is old, and that oh, it's always the case with Christianity. Paul says, I was religious, but what he doesn't say is that he adds something, added something to his religiosity. He didn't say, hey, I was religious, I was a Pharisee, but I'm just going to get more religious. Did he? What does he actually say? Paul says, and here's the thing, all the things I used to look at and thought to my prophet, I count as rubbish. I mean, loss is kind, right? Like rubbish. Listen to this. What Paul is saying is all my religiosity, all I was proud of, all that I accomplished, it's all crap in comparison to what I've been offered in Christ. All of it. Paul has a complete revolution in the way he looks at things. For many of us, we've asked Jesus to join us instead of joining Jesus. And we're hanging on to some of the very things that are keeping us experiencing religion, keeping us in the pharisaical mindset, the pharisaical spirit, when God has something bigger and something more. My righteousness can't save me, Paul says. You can't be a Christian unless something has been smashed, unless your whole approach to yourself and to God and to religiosity, your whole approach to everything you've done has been smashed. You can't be a Christian unless you're willing to be called away from religion. What does that mean? 
to be called away from religion. Jesus teaches this to us here, the very nature of religion. And those aren't the terms he uses, but it's what he's calling out. So here's what I want to do in the next few moments. Because there is an old way that everyone, whether you are religious or you have no religion at all, whether you think you're a conservative or a liberal, Jesus is saying to everyone except himself and those who grasp the gospel that has an approach, everyone has an approach to spiritual things and it's called religion and you can't be a Christian until you reject it, until you smash it. This is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in this text. In this passage, Jesus tells us what religion is. We get to see how he smashes it. And we'll look at a couple tests to see if we have moved away from religion or to what degree we have moved away from it. Why? Because it hinders us sitting at the table of Jesus and as much as it keeps us from inviting others to it as well. Do you know what Jesus said about the Pharisees who would go to people to invite them to their, their tables? He said, you made them worse. You made him twice the devil that you are. Do you remember that passage? It's the plight of the Pharisee, always invited but never coming, because we're too good. Keller says this, religion is a way of dividing the world into two kinds of people. Religion is a way of justifying yourself to have access to the power of life. So the Pharisees say, why are you eating with sinners? And Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. That's why. So how healthy do we view ourselves? He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Paul said, hey, no one's righteous. No, not one. Matter of fact, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. So what is he doing here? Why is Jesus talking this way? Jesus is talking this way because this is how the Pharisees talk. And because he wants to smash them. The old wineskin, smash them for them. Now let me, let me unpack this a little bit for us. Religion is a way of dividing the world into two kinds of people. Good people and bad people. Right? That's how we do it. Good people. Matthew was bad people. We learned that from Alex Galler's message. He was a tax collector, but he was also Jewish. And so he was hurting his own people to his own gain. He was a traitor. Right? And so he's bad. He's bad people. Matthew's bad. So it's about little sins and big sins. Bad people do big sins. Right? And that's crime, any type of crime. That's sexual irregularity. Those are bad people. Good people do things wrong, but they're little sins. And who's determining this? We are, of course. In some sense, we are. Religion isn't just the way formal traditional religions operate. It's the way the heart operates. I need you to get this. We want to make this all about what we do. And Jesus is trying to make it all about who you are. What's going on inside of you. But our very measures of good and bad are the very things that are actually keeping us from going inside. Everyone does this, by the way. <clears throat> Religion is the way you divide the world up. And why do you do it? Because you want to justify yourself to the power behind life. You do it so that you can say, God owes me. I've sacrificed. I've said no to so much. I go to church. I tithe and I fast. God owes it to me. And that's religion. That's the righteousness Jesus did not come to call. You convince yourself you're better than others so that you can say, God owes you. 
We convince ourselves that we're better than others so that we can say, hey, God, you owe me something as a result of what I've done for you. Now you do it for me. And we're sitting in the room and you say, yeah, but I don't have a religion and I'm not following this God. I actually don't believe in God. Even for the atheist, you can intellectually say that there is no God and then say life's not fair. On what basis? On what basis is life not fair if there's no God? I deserve. You're being unfair, life, and you divide the world into good and bad and say, I only do little sins. I'm better than somebody else. And the moment we put ourselves in the category of I am better than somebody else, we are living in that religious spirit. We are a Pharisee. You do it. I do it. By saying life's unfair, you're simply saying you're better than another. You defend yourself against how your life is going by your good works and how you're being superior to others. You do it. I do. We do it. Look at your hearts. That's what this church has been about for the last three or four years specifically is what happens when we look at our hearts. Actually, for the whole time it's been in existence, but there's been a sense of what does it mean to look at the inside? Oh, I'm excited. The Pharisees were obvious. They They brought their offerings and sacrifices saying, God owes me because as they look down their noses at everyone, they're saying we're better than. That's why they're asking Jesus why he's sitting at the table with those people. It's only a person that thinks they're better that can say that. Everyone does it. Jesus comes and says something so radical. He says, I have nothing to say to people who live like that. Church, I want you to hear this. He's descending into using the terminology of the religious for just this moment. Here's what he said. If sinners means that people who do bad things, if that's what a sinner is, is someone who does bad things, then righteous means people who think they're over the line. That they're good and that God owes them a good life. And Jesus is saying, I have nothing to say to you unless you believe and understand that you stand in the very same place morally before God as the traitor and the murderer and the rapist. If you don't get rid of this entire approach to things, you will miss everything. You'll miss even Jesus. This is what he's trying to say to us. Listen, it doesn't mean that just because you're invited to the table that he approves of your life. But he will invite you to the table and when you're at the table, when you meet the real Jesus, you are never the same. And if you're the same as you were when you came to Christ, you might have religion and not Jesus because Jesus will change and transform you. But it won't be to make you better than others. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, that man, drop your pride. And consider those in lowly positions. Associate with them. Was Paul saying that there are people in lower positions than others? No. He's talking to a culture that does it naturally. And he's saying, come down to their level and associate. Be friends with them because guess what? You need them way more than they need you. That's what's happening here. Sorry, I'm fired up. There's a conservative and a liberal approach. And I'm not necessarily talking as much about politics as I am mindsets. Conservatives say, what is Jesus doing there eating with tax collectors and sinners? And so they've elevated themselves. And Jesus is saying, there's only, there's the only people, he's saying, these are the only people that understand what I'm trying to tell you. You have to see yourself as a moral failure or we don't go on. How many of you have failed? 
You needed Jesus. And he was there. Liberals are the same way. Sinner, how primitive. I'm okay, I'm better than most. You'll think it's all ridiculous and you won't hear his call. Those are the extremes, why? Because we're saying in some way we're elevating ourselves over others. How could he say that everyone is a sinner? How does he smash it all down? Here's what he says, go learn what this means. You know what he's saying? Go think. Well, we're being taught in our culture, you can't do that, you just have to agree. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go learn, go meditate, get your small group together in your community and talk about what I'm about to tell you. And don't stop when you think you got the answer, but let the Holy Spirit come invade it. Let the word of God invade it until you know that you know what this means. And what is it? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You have exactly what you need to smash you down and pick you up. Bringing us from and to. He's quoting from Hosea and Isaiah. The prophets are saying, you fools, you're bringing all this religious ritual and that's not what God wants. He looks away from your sacrifices. A lot of us are looking at our sacrifices and hoping God, the power behind life, pays us what he owes us. How do we know if that's us? Well, when life happens, do you find yourself upset all the time? Grumpy to be around? anxious because you didn't get your way, angry because it didn't go how you wanted it to go, that's a sign of a Pharisee. It's religion. The old system by which you sacrifice so that God owes you. And Jesus said, look away and look at mercy. Look at what God really wants. It's love. It's the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the other one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you, knowing they may not do it back, but that's not why you do it. I don't invite them to the table for what I can do for them or they can do for me. I invite them to the table because I know what Jesus did for me. And I know we can do it for them. I don't change them by my righteousness. They are changed by his. Jesus says, look away from your sacrifice and look to what God requires of you and you'll be humbled. Here you you are, you're, you're guilty of little sin. And over there, they're worse than you. And Jesus comes along into that and he said, yeah, well, you've heard it said. (laughs) right? He's like, yeah, you're not guilty. That's right. But you've heard it said, don't murder, right? Yeah, I don't murder. So therefore (laughs) the murderers are worse. Yeah. So, but if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Oh, well, shoot. Okay. That's me. Oh yeah. So Jesus is leveling the playing field, right? They committed adultery. Yeah. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart or you've committed adultery. And you're like, oh, crap, like that too. (laughs) Who are we? It's all in the heart. If you look at your heart instead of your sacrifices, it will humble you down. It'll smash you. The heart, oh, it's wicked. 
And we don't know it, but he does. And he's also saying that if you look away from the sacrifice to the only mercy that will save you, which is Jesus, the only way you'll ever get out from under the problems, your problems, is to stop looking at your sacrifices and all you've done to get out and all you deserve and look at his, and that will smash the old wineskins. I want nothing to do with that because I can't save me and neither can you, but God, he can. Being a Pharisee is keeping your table small. You can't even pull up a chair. Rocks you to the core. Here's the test. Closing with this. How do you know you've broken through? You've broken the old wineskins, or you're breaking them, or your old foundation is broken up. Well, here it is. It's the way you deal with moral failure. That's how you know. It's the way you deal with other people's failures. Look at Jesus eating. You know what eating means? It meant so much more to them than it does to us. To sit down and eat meant to recline at a table, to have intimate fellowship with someone, to embrace and say, come into my life. It's to say, let's have a personal relationship. Jesus eats with sinners. As a matter of fact, he says, I actually only eat with sinners. Are you like Jesus? How do you deal with moral failures? When people come and tell you something that they've done where they've really failed, let you down, let themselves down, let God down, how do you treat them? Do you create space for them? Do you judge them? Are you shocked because you're so much better than that? Do they sense that you can't see how they could do such a thing because you can't see your own? If that's your response, then you're righteous in the sense of what Jesus is talking about. You don't believe you're a sinner like anyone else, and as a result, you can't be sympathetic, and as a result, you can't give hope. Wow. It shrinks your table. People don't tell you the problems. They don't feel embraced by you, and you can't give them hope. You can't say, oh, Jesus runs to people like you because he ran to me. He runs to the helpless because he ran to me, and the repentant he can't resist because he heard me. Every day, actually. Yeah. Or do they feel you're kind of cold because you don't know how to deal with people who do that kind of thing because you're so much better than them? Because we are so much better than them. You value sacrifice over mercy, and your table shows it. How do you treat moral failures? That tells you whether you're a Pharisee or not. That tells you how much of a Pharisee is in your life still. They, they, we, we live in a culture where leaders, leaders are failing. Yeah. They're failing. And man, it's rocking us. Why? Why is it rocking us so much? Mm, I don't know. Maybe because we're Pharisees at heart. Yeah, it hurts and that's disappointing. And I get it, but they only fell from the pedestals we put them on. And then, we, and then we go watch the crap that's put out about those who have failed. It's failure porn, and we get off on it. Versus realizing that, man, me too. And I'm praying that I don't fall too. That God's mercy would be on me. And that when I do, people won't walk away from me, but they'll come alongside me and hear my story. But don't stop there. How do you deal with your own moral failures? Do you not see when you let yourself down and you fail and you're devastated and you can't face God and you can't face others and you can't look yourself in the mirror because you failed? That's also a sign that you have old wine skin that's never been smashed. 
There's these two daughters that disobey their dad. And he disciplines them. And one runs to her bedroom and hides under the bed in shame. And the other one runs to him and jumps on his lap and says, Dad, I am so sorry. May my punishment be a thousand kisses. Which one is the dad most excited to respond to? When you let yourself down, or when you let other people down, do you beat yourself up? Are you knocking yourself around? You know what that shows? That Jesus isn't your savior, but you're your own savior. And that savior is in current, current ruins. But if Jesus is your savior and you've transferred your trust to him, Jesus eats with sinners. That's why Paul says, I used to look to my righteousness and all that I've done and God owes me a good life and now realize that my only hope is to be found in Jesus' righteousness, not mine. And so, and so when I fail, I find myself in the presence of Jesus because that's who he eats with. Those who fail and can come and say, I failed because my identity isn't based in what I do or what people say about me or what I have. That was the third one. There you go. Thank you, Lord. Jesus eating with sinners will smash you if you understand it. It means no matter what you've done or who you are, the distinction that Jesus recognized isn't between the good and the bad. And so you can't be too bad, but you can definitely come across too good outside of Christ. The only distinction that divides humanity now isn't between good and bad, but the proud and the humble. And so God says, I oppose the proud, but I will give grace to the humble. And so I am not better than any of you sitting in this room. And I am in need of a savior every day of my life. Because there are days I refuse to make him Lord or not make him Lord, but acknowledge his Lordship. Because I can't make him anything. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm not worthy. You don't owe me a good life. You owe me nothing but wrath. And the minute that happens, he rushes in to eat with you. But if you say you owe me a good life, the minute that happens, he says, I've not come to eat with you. Because see, the healthy don't need me, only the sick. And I've not come for the healthy. I'm not calling the healthy, but I am calling the sick. Hallelujah. That's Christianity. May we not be Pharisees. And so we are in this amazing initiative to bring hope that we are taking none of the credit for because it's not us. That's right. Matter of fact, we probably have more Pharisee in us than we know. And so God, may we be humble. Yes. And where we get it wrong, may we acknowledge and repent. And where we get it right, may God be glorified. And if you're not serving Jesus today, he's worthy of being followed. And if he's pulling at your heart, it means he's calling you respond. Because it will be better than any religion you could choose on your own. And it's not just in this church and it's not just in this community, but God is using this church to go around the world. You need to know that. He's raising up the justice-seeking church. Injustice is what we fight against. People are what we stand for. And so there is a justice that God is calling us to, and it's not just here. This church will be a church of justice for God. That's not social justice. That's gospel justice. Jesus is the only one that solves the world's problems. But this is going around the world. God is growing our family, and I want you to hear all the places that he's growing this family. Listen to this clip.
What up, Hub Collective? This is Michael with M68, and I'd like to introduce you to our growing global family of justice-seeking churches. Bahia Chapa Hope Collective. This is Flavio Santos with the Timothy Center in the uh, Guarani tribe in South America. Let's fight for justice. Marhaba Hope Collective. This is Maher Al Hajj with Youth for Christ Lebanon. Let's fight for justice. Hi, I'm Shikha Barman. I'm Tapan Barman, Church of God Ministry, Bangladesh, our partner, N6. Let's fight for justice. Let's fight for justice. Hi, Hope Collective. This is Chris Ofis. And this is Tim Ofis. We're with the Chicago Welcome Center. Let's fight for justice. Let's fight for justice. Hey, hey, Hope Collective, this is Chael from Fusion Church in Wakanda. Let's fight for justice. What is up, Hope Collective family? It's TJ and Melissa from Soul Revival Church here in Racine, Wisconsin. Let's fight for justice. Yeah. Hello, Hope Collective. This is Jack from Kinship Cambodian Ministry. With M68, we will fight for the justice. Salut, Hope Collective. My name is Efraim Lucien from Haiti. Let's fight for justice. Hey Hope Collective, I'm Charlie. And I'm Aaron. We're with Commonwealth in Knoxville, Tennessee. Let's fight for justice. And that's our family. Yes. That's what every dollar that comes in goes to is fighting for justice. Whether it's here in your life, or it's in our community, or it's around the world, God is bringing us together to fight for justice. Right now, because of the youth ministry giving so that other kids could go to camp in Cambodia, Micah is at a camp where last night, yesterday, three kids gave their heart to Jesus, 10 got baptized, and 20 got filled with the Holy Spirit. Cambodia, where Jack is, now you see a face. You just know. So we're going to take a few minutes. We've placed one of these cards on every one of your seats. We're at this halfway mark. If you're visiting with us, again, as Natalie said, you get a chance to see us respond in obedience and witness that we believe God can do what he says he does. That's where hope is. It's not wishful thinking hope. It's a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. He is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he's going to do. And we're seeing that happen. And so we're stepping in for one more year. This is a one fund campaign. That means whatever you tithe, whatever you give on top of that tithe, whatever dollar amount you give goes to this initiative. It's one fund. That way, every dollar is bringing hope to the world, no matter what it goes for. But we're at this halfway point, And we just want to, for those who have come in the last year, we want you to have the opportunity to jump in. Maybe you have it. And so on this card is a spot for you to say, hey, I'm new to this, but man, God's pulling at my heart and what you're doing and I want to be part of it. See, the church isn't something you go to, it's something you're part of. We don't go to church around here. We're part of God's church. The building's just used to do crazy things for Jesus. But the people are who he's calling. And if you say, man, I want to be part of this local expression of church, then what is God leading you to give? And again, we don't want your money, nor does God. He wants your heart. So what obedience would, would our response be to that? And so that's why we're inviting you into this because it's been a blast to be people who give to this. It's been so cool to be part of it. God's blowing us away. And then maybe you're here and you say, hey, listen, um, this has been hard, but we want to finish strong. And we're going to stick to what we said we were going to do. Be people of our word. 
God's a God of his word. So I want to be people of my word. You know, we kind of lost that in this, in this current age. Man, when I was raised, if, if my parents, if they said they were going to do something, they did it. You invite five people to your house now and four cancel. Now you got a bunch of food. What are you going to do? Feed the, feed the neighbors? Maybe that's a great idea. Right, Dave? But we're going to finish strong. Maybe you're just saying, hey, I'm going to put what I put last year, last year at this time, because this is what we're going to respect. Keep doing what God's asked us. Write that in there. And put your name. Maybe you're sitting there saying, man, God blessed us in a way we couldn't believe. And God's challenging us again to another level of obedience. And so we're going to change it. We're going to go up. Then write that. But we're going to give you a few minutes here to just think and process that. Don't have to respond yet. Just sit in that space. Talk to your spouse. Talk to whoever you're with. Maybe just you and the Holy Spirit. What is God asking you to do? Again, it's an amazing thing to see and watch how God moves. And so we're going to invite all of us just to take some time and ask God, what would you ask me to do so that I can be part of what you're doing through this church? Take a few moments. I'll be right back as you ponder that. Think about that. Fill out the card for us. So what we're going to do, the band's going to play one of my favorite songs, I believe. Did I get that right? It's just a call. And we're going to invite you forward. It's a celebration. To bring, to bring that card, put it in, say, God, we're in. We're still in. We're in even more. However you want to do that. want to bring it up. If you've committed for the first time, then I want you to sign your name on the table like everybody else did a year ago. If you already signed last year and you're coming and dropping it, find your name. Put your hand on your name and just say, God, we're, we're still here. We're going to continue to obey what you've asked us to obey. But as we sing this, I'm going to invite you forward, everyone who filled out the card, place it in the bucket, sign your name or pray over your name, and let's continue to be the church God's asked us to be. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.